Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 488 of the Juice Box Podcast. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking with Sarah. She recorded this while she was pregnant. She has since had the baby, and I'll tell you a little update about that at the end of the episode. This one's interesting because I recorded it twice. You'll you'll see what I mean. I'll explain the whole thing in a second. Sarah's terrific. You're going to love this. Let's just get started. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast. This is something you should remember, by the way. Please remember. Let's say it like that. Let's say please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. The show is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Check them out at touchedbytype1.org and by the Omnipod. Now you can go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box to find out if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. It's pretty cool. Head over, take a look. Links in the show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com, or you just go to omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Let's start here by saying that you are one of the few uh, people who I've interviewed and then somehow screwed over. Uh, Your file just didn't work. So we're doing this again, but you have big news since we talked last time. So we're just going to, we're just going to talk over. And the great news for you is I speak to so many people. I fundamentally don't know what we spoke about the first time. So this is going to just be like brand new to me. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. Do you want to turn off video or you want to keep it on? If you're all right with it, I can keep it on. I just don't have a lot of light in here. So I like it because then I don't interrupt you. Oh, cool. Well, let me see if I can just turn a, hold on. I can see you. I'm going to mute myself so to blow my nose because that's rude. Sarah is now blowing her nose. She is finished. Oh, I didn't realize we were recording. Oh, no, I've been recording the entire time. Oh, cool. (laughs) So introduce yourself. So my name's Sarah. I live in Denver area of Colorado. I'm 27 and change. Um, I'm a graduate student at a university in Colorado. I'm a type one diabetic sort of, and um, I am 25 weeks pregnant. Woo. Hey, congratulations. With a baby, I'm assuming we're going to name Scott. Is that right? (laughs) It's a human. I do not know the sex. Well, listen, I don't know what Scott is works. I think it's a gender uh, neutral name. (laughs) Yeah. I have some names picked out, but (laughs) are they not Scott? (laughs) Uh, not, no. 
but terrible I'll keep name, that in mind isn't it? No, you, no, of course you again. won't. It's like it's such a short kind of curt name. It doesn't feel. Um, I don't. I don't love it as a first name. So, anyway, um, and I don't expect you to name my, your baby after me. <laughs> you imagine, you <laughs> We're going with family names. Are you? So you are related to people who are worthy of uh, their names moving into the future. Mm, just or- the first letter. So my mother-in-law has brain cancer. So the middle names for both sexes that we've come up with start with the first letter of her first name. That's very nice of you. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So tell me something. You just said I have type one diabetes sort of, what does that mean? So I was technically diagnosed with LADA latent autoimmune diabetes in adults when I was 26. So last March, um, I identify as a type one, but I know that the medical community has issues with that occasionally. Really? What, what do you, do you know why? Um, yeah. So I think it stems from the origins of type one diabetes being juvenile diabetes, which in all honesty, didn't make any sense anyway, because juvenile people grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the goal, right? Um, so, yeah. you know, it's funny that how many things we say or do because that's just the way it is or something like that. So you've, have you actually bumped into somebody who's like, like been like, Oh, that's not good usage because you were diagnosed later. Yeah. So I, I mean, on all my charts, I'm a type one. I identify as a type one. It's just my initial diagnosis was LADA. Right. Um, but people sometimes think it's a part of type two, which it's, have you done your pro episode with Jenny about it yet? Not yet, no. Okay. Yeah. So my understanding, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like we all should have honorary endo degrees, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, my no understanding kidding. is that it's a slower progressing form of type 1, so it's still an autoimmune that attacks your pancreas. Um, it's just slower than, say, Arden or children who have it pretty rapidly onset. It just comes on pretty quickly and, and you have it. So it's not exactly like a long honeymoon where they don't think um, about it that way. I think it can be when you just depending on when you diagnose it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, how did it, how early do you think you caught it? And what was your, I mean, forget what people say. What was your experience? Yeah. Mine is a little funny. So when I was 15, I swear I'm going to answer your question, but <clears throat> when I was 15, I had stomach issues. Um, So I saw a stomach doctor who thought I just had acid reflux. And for four years, I was on omeprazole or whatever it's called, Nexium, whatever. Um, And I felt horrible. So I finally decided to do something about it and went gluten-free and felt way better. So then I saw a different stomach doctor who diagnosed me with celiac. And then after my mother-in-law was diagnosed with brain cancer, I was stressed and traumatized and X, Y, and Z. And I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. This was when I was, how old was I? 25 maybe. And then I went to an endocrinologist who ran antibody tests. And one of the antibody tests she ran was um, the GAD 65, if you're familiar. I'm not. Keep going. So that's one of the, I don't, clinically, I can't tell you what that means, but I know that in layman's terms, it's if you come up positive, it means you're positive for type one of some sort. Mm-hmm. So we can test the antibodies through trial net, right? I think there's five of them. Yep. So GAD 65 is a different one. Um, I think 
Don't quote me on that. But well, you're totally she, being he, quoted, but I understand that you might not know for sure. <laughs> no, I know. I'm not a doctor, but but this podcast has no medical advice anyway. But um, anyway, I was really positive for JD65. I think it's like under five is negative, and I was in the thousands. Mm-hmm. And at the time, this was in California, she told me, you might develop type one later in life. Just watch your A1C. And I remember it being in the mid to high fives, which was not diabetic per se but it was pre-diabetic at points Mm -hmm. and I've always been active and vegetarian and gluten-free and it just didn't make sense anyway fast forward I moved to Colorado I established a new endo for my Hashimoto's she was looking at my blood work and she goes you know you're type one right and I said excuse me (laughs) (laughs) did you say Um, do you know you have no bedside manner whatsoever right (laughs) well I was like what does that mean (laughs) So she stuck a Libre on me for two weeks. I came back and they diagnosed me with LADA because I wasn't, you know, in the 600s, 500s, 400s, 300s daily, but I would spike to the 250s mm-hmm. um, occasionally. So that endo ended up being a ding dong. So I ended up switching to a new center, the Barbara Davis Center in Denver, which is phenomenal. Yeah, I've heard. They're phenomenal. Um, and I walked in three months post-diagnosis on a Dexcom, no insulin, because the first endo refused to put me on insulin unless I was over 200 for three days straight. Really? You yeah. Had be, you had to be over 200 <laughs> for three days straight or you couldn't have any insulin? That was her textbook uh-huh. diagnosis, yeah. This is the dodo, you're saying? The ding dong, The yeah. ding dong. Ding dong. Ding dong dodo. Nice. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> what's the difference? Well, what's how, how was Hashimoto's explained to you? Like, why is that not oh. hypothyroidism or like, I, I don't know all of, do you, you want to read together? Hold on a second. Well, so I know that it's one of the same. It's just one is the autoimmune. So Hashimoto's means that my body attacks my thyroid um, and they diagnosed it with antibodies to be a blood work and then an ultrasound to check for nodules, AKA mini tumors, which mm-hmm. I didn't have, but one side of my thyroid was like double the size of the other or something. So what I'm seeing here is. Inflammation of the thyroid causes a leak resulting in excess thyroid hormone, which puts you hyper. Over time, the inflammation prevents the thyroid from producing enough hormone hypo. Symptoms include fatigue and unexplained weight gain. It's funny that it says unexplained weight gain. Of course, it is explained by the Hashimoto's, but (laughs) a weird choice. Yeah, unexplained by lifestyle factors. So it's explained by the thyroid. Yeah, like you're just eating all normal and everything and gaining weight and you can't stop. Did any of that happen to you? Yeah. So, I mean, I was in the hospital, not for myself, for my mother-in-law pretty frequently. Um, So I wasn't totally taking care of myself. And I actually went to the ER, which with heart, uh, with chest pains, which now I know is a sign of high blood sugar for me. Mm -hmm. So I felt absolutely horrible and nobody checked my blood sugar. It was all about the heart. My heart was fine. Um, I'm assuming if someone had actually checked my blood sugar, I would have had a high blood sugar. So this was six months before the positive GAD 65 and then like a year and change before my actual diagnosis. One time Arden, as she got bigger, so she was on Synthroid at the time and she grew and it just never occurred to us that as she got bigger, she'd need more Synthroid. And so she started having these incredibly low blood pressures. Like she'd like sit at the kitchen counter with her head down, just lay there, you know. And um, they jumped, even though people knew she'd 
you know, doctors knew she had hypothyroidism. They jumped right to like heart issues and they put her through all these heart tests that she just flat out didn't need. And I'm, I, I kept saying, you know, after a couple of doctor's appointments, I was like, hey, could this just be your thyroid? You know, and people are like, oh, it's too severe and blah, blah. And I'm like, so one day I just, I said to Kelly, I'm like, I'm just going to give her more of it. Like, like I just, I am because if it works, we'll know soon. And if it doesn't work well, and she just like, she was like a flower. You ever see a flower just like not get enough water and it, it yeah. just, it's not dead, but you're like, this thing's going to die in like two days, you know? And then you put water in it. Like the next day you come out, you're like, oh my God, that's exactly what happened to her. She just popped right back up again. I was like, that's amazing. Uh, and then I called the doctor and I was like, well, guess what? I gave her more. Uh, and this worked. Now you might want to be more specific about how much more she wants. Cause I just was like, and a half a pill. Cause I didn't know, <laughs> you know, I, was like, I kind of did it the way I do insulin. I'm like, let's see if more helps, <laughs> you know, um, it's a fascinating issue. All that when thyroid you, stuff. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. When you procreate the second you have a positive pregnancy test, they increase your synthroid or levothyroxine or whatever pill you're on. No kidding. Because do you know why? Not medically, but I know that it has something to do with the baby. <laughs> I'm going to find, I'll find out when I do the thyroid episode. I'll make sure I ask. Uh, yeah, that's like that's the, one of the first things they did was increase my levothyroxine or synthroid. Same okay. thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, I, Arden uses tyrosine now only because hmm. through the process of making sure we were doing the exact right thing for her as best as we could, we found that tyrosine doesn't have any fillers whatsoever. So not that, you know. But it didn't change anything. Mm. Like we went from synthroid to tyrosine. It's not like she was suddenly like, I feel so much better. It just, this works just as well as the other and she's using it now. So, but we've tried everything. We tried switching her insulin to make sure mm. she didn't have a sensitivity to like fillers in a pedra, which she ended up not having. And uh, because moving to Fiasp didn't change anything. Actually, it changed a lot about how insulin worked, which was really interesting. But I'm going to do another episode about that somewhere else. But um but it didn't change anything. You know, when you're just sort of like, you did it. Like you were like, I'll eat gluten-free now and see what that does. So are you a vegetarian or a vegan or how do you eat? A uh, lifelong vegetarian. Vegetarian. Okay. Uh, did your family raise you that way? Yeah, sort of. My parents are both physicists. So we had a nanny growing up and she was vegetarian. Which made you a vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like It's like when you hear somebody say, I watch Dancing with the Stars because my wife watches Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> so I love it too um, because I can't, I can't get out of this. <laughs> well, I'm room. married to a 6'4 German guy, so he eats enough meat for the both of us. <laughs> so do you not have a um, – there's no moral issue with you? It's just an eating style? Uh, no, I, I love animals a lot. So like a lot, a lot. I don't know why, but I do. So I, I don't like the smell of it, especially pregnant. I really don't like the smell of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that protein and the that the like kind of blood base that's in red meat, especially you, you're not. A, but you don't sit across from your husband going, "You mother, what are you doing?" <laughs> like you don't spend the whole time he's eating his cheeseburger, wondering out loud what the cow would be doing with its life right now if it wasn't for him. It isn't. It doesn't hit you like that. <laughs> no. Our my philosophy is if they don't get mad at me for being a vegetarian or tease me with meat, then I won't do the same. I have a theory that um, everyone doesn't care so much about what other people do as much as the internet makes it feel like people care, you, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that 
if you if you um if you feel that way i think that's amazing you know if you, if you were like look i'm not going to eat meat because animals and i love them too much and i can't do it i think that makes a million percent sense and i think if you think i want a cheeseburger uh i've grown up this way and this is how i eat i think that makes sense too so it's interesting that you guys are blended like that does he ever touch your vegetables <laughs> actually i don't cook my husband cooks <laughs> oh so you can't complain at all so well <laughs> pregnant you eat weird things anyway but so um when we moved to colorado he decided that our kitchen would be gluten-free which was really generous of him because mm-hmm. i have celiac yeah um so he eats completely gluten-free in the house and then if he goes out not so much with covid but he'll eat gluten um but we just finished our basement so and we have like a fridge and a toaster oven down there and that'll be the gluten kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. So a person who has no sensitivity to gluten at all can not eat it. And he probably doesn't experience anything different than when he does eat it. No, but, you know, we did 23andMe because I'm from um, an egg donor, which is unrelated to all this. But anyway, I wanted to see if I could find any half siblings, which I did not. But um Oh, he has one of the two celiac genes, and I have the other, so the kid's screwed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good. can the baby hear me? Good news, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're. I think they're asleep right now. They yeah. were awake earlier. Oh, uh, wait, hold on a second. Did you say they? Yeah. Like, is there like twelve of them in there? Oh, it's a uh, gender neutral. Oh, neutral. oh, oh! I was like, I wasn't sure if you were going with um w- with pronoun there, or if it was like literally like two and i was like i didn't think she was having twins okay no thank you (laughs) yeah you'd probably be bigger by now you're a super pale uh of super pale origin too so is your hair red uh yeah it's just yeah it is yeah so are you more like irish english that kind of vibe um so i'm from my father and then i'm I, i have a twin and then we're from an egg donor and I did the 23 and me and I made my father do it to see what came up as, and I know you're adopted. So yeah. this actually might be interested, interesting, but um, I've concluded that the egg donor was a hundred percent Ashkenazi Jewish, which does not actually mean anything ethnicity wise, but I've narrowed it down to that. She was from Germany, but thank goodness I'm not related to my husband. Cause I was quite nervous. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you would have done if it came back and you were like really close in line? Would you have been like, look, you can stay as the cook, but we're not having sex anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I didn't want to think about it. Cause that's a little scary. <laughs> it's completely creepy. Hey, the good news is if you stay married a little longer, you're not going to have sex anymore anyway. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah that's what i've heard <laughs> it won't matter you'll just be like hi i mean he's a great cook and i like him he's nice to that kid so it'll be fine <laughs> no he's funny. a really nice guy i got really lucky yeah good for you that's excellent i i'm noticing i have more and more listeners in the denver area they're popping up more frequently i don't know what's happening over there but you people gotta you gotta stop getting type 1 diabetes so much apparently <laughs> Uh, Utah, Denver are like way on the rise for the sh- for the show. It's interesting. Um, I guess I, maybe it's because of Barbara Davis Center because it's such a phenomenal. Thing. I think it's a share center. It's that people start sharing the podcast and and it grows that way. I don't think it has anything to do with people having diabetes in certain areas. Um, yeah. If I had that kind of power, then <laughs> I'd be like, if someone gets diabetes, they just immediately listen to the podcast. That would be a that's another level. Then you would actually hear ego from me. Just so you know. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm all powerful, but no, I just think some nice people are passing the show around. 
So, um, so you haven't had diabetes for very long at all. Mm-mm. How long? Tell me again. How long you had a thyroid issue? When was that diagnosed again? Young. Um, it was about a year before the diabetes, so about two and a half years. But you lived for four years thinking you had reflux. Fifteen to nineteen. Yeah. Age fifteen to nineteen. I, I didn't think I had reflux because the Nexium did nothing. But someone diagnosed me with bird. Okay. Gastro and test something, 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 something. That that those medications, even the over counter ones for reflux, can block your um, ability to take up iron. Did you know that? I know. So I was severely anemic when I was finally diagnosed with celiac, which could have been either the celiac or the Nexium or both. Mm-hmm. You realize that some people listening right now are think you're anemic because you don't eat any meat, right? <laughs> so <laughs> you're not you're not anemic anymore. Sorry, you're not anemic anymore, right? No, 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 uh, right. No. So uh, I really think that might have something to do with it, honestly. That those hmm. those those um, medications block the uptake of iron, and you don't need very much iron at all. But when you don't have it, it's you know it plays hell on you. Like I've been fighting through that for like two years now. I finally feel better, but um, it's horrible. It just it feels like you've been awake for your whole life, and sleeping doesn't do much for you, and you know, etc. Um, yeah, this whole body thing, it's a, it's a fine tuned instrument. When you, when you off tune it a little bit, things just start going haywire. So tell me that actually, oh, sorry. I was going to say that actually sounds like Hashimoto's like you, you sleep forever and ever and ever, and you still are exhausted. So many of these, um, problems result in the same kind of like that. That's why you have so much trouble figuring out stuff for Arden because, um, she also, her iron was low as well. Like, so she got her, she started getting her period and it just, you know, every time it took us forever, I should say, like you'd look at her and think, let me start over. <laughs> so she had the issue where she grew and this, and the synthroid wasn't enough. So she got super tired and her blood pressure went low. And then as her iron depleted, it looks exactly the same. Yeah. So then the doctors were like, now we know what this is. So they were giving her more thyroid, but it w- she was anemic. But if you jack someone's thyroid up, you can make their a little you can make them hyper, which can mask your symptoms. So then the symptoms got masked, but of course that didn't last forever and we were at our like the end of our rope. We were like, that's it. She why don't we just like like we were thinking about maybe pushing her like in a hole or leaving her at a mall no. or something like that. Like it was getting tough, you know what I mean? And sure. one day um, I figured out my iron thing. Mm. And once I got the iron back in me and my brain turned back on and my wife and I could talk about it like reasonably, I said to Kelly, I'm like, uh, Hey, do you think Arden's iron could be low? I was like, it's perfectly mimic it. You know, now that I stop and think about it and we took her in and, uh, her iron was incredibly low, incredibly low. Yeah. So she got a couple of infusions and then she was okay after that. Is she on iron supplements currently? Or no, no, it's holding up now. Hmm. So that's good. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. She'll get tested again. That poor kid gives a lot of blood, but she'll get tested again soon to find out. Um, and we're actually going this week to get her thyroid levels because we're the doctor's still adjusting her thyroid. Now, I'll tell you, that's the thing to understand about thyroid is it's if you think you're going to do one blood test, take a pill, and a year later try it again, that is not the way to figure it out. It, it really <laughs> isn't. Hashimoto's is actually my easiest 
um, autoimmune. Celiac is my favorite and diabetes is my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you had them on, you had them rated. <laughs> And not even on the actual same scale, by the way. <laughs> Easiest, that one's over there. Uh, favorite, because I'm guessing you like the way you eat. And then uh, how do you like eating? Um, what, what is it like to eat gluten-free? What, what are your go-tos? This is super simple. The Omnipod is a tubeless insulin pump. It has no tubing. It is not connected to a controller. You don't have to keep the controller with you because it's not connected by tubing. It is a tubeless insulin pump. It's a small device that is self-contained. You control it with a handheld unit that is in no way connected, right? So it doesn't have to be on you constantly. So try to imagine you're out going for a run and you have a tubed insulin pump. Well, you're running with a thing in your pocket, an insulin pump. That pump goes from a tube into a set where you get your insulin. With the Omnipod, you just have this little pod and it just it's stuck on your skin. It's just there. It's not attached to anything. Think about that just for a moment, how lovely that would be. Also, the Omnipod is, also you can bathe with the Omnipod. Shower, a bath, go swimming, jump in the ocean, jump in a lake, you can do whatever you want with the water with the Omnipod. If you jump in the lake with a tube pump, uh, it goes under the water and goes and doesn't work anymore. That doesn't happen with Omnipod. And think of how often you touch water. You bathe like every day, right? Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Head over there today to see if you're eligible for a free 30 day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Free 30 days of using the Dash if you're eligible. Find out at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. It's amazing. My daughter has had an Omnipod since she was four years old. She's going to be 17 in a few weeks. Uh, if you can do the math, that's like 13 years of wearing an Omnipod every day. It's been absolutely terrific. We changed hers today, this afternoon, actually. If it took us more than three minutes to put it on, I'd be surprised. It's just amazing. Give Omnipod a try. Givoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Givoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to givokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Givoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit Givoke glucagon.com slash risk. Oh, that's an interesting question. So pre-pregnancy, I was pretty low carb, just easier to manage the mm -hmm. blood sugar. Um, but in pregnancy, you're supposed to eat like 180 grams of carbs a day because carbs equals energy, energy equals growing baby. So I've really had to change my diet. Um, so like for breakfast, I had granola and fruit and yogurt, which I would have never eaten before. Because of the carbs. Yeah, a lot of carbs, a lot of fast sugars. Um, so... 
I, I don't know. You know, I don't notice it for me. It's normal to eat gluten-free. Yeah. Just a lot of normally gluten-free stuff. Rice, brown rice, if I need it. Polenta, spaghetti squash, things like that. I think I'm coming to the conclusion that for me personally, um, flour, whether it is in a cookie or bread is, is probably the bane of my existence. Like, <laughs> like my, in my, because I can, I don't know about you, but I could get like a fresh loaf of bread and, you know, just eat it over three days and not eat anything else and be perfectly happy. Um, and it, it's, I know it's not good for me. It's funny as you're talking, I'm preparing two days from now to record with a, with a doctor who, um, promotes a complete carnivore diet, like just the opposite way. So I've been doing this thing, like, like I've been recording with people, like how they eat. So, mm-hmm. you know, talking to, uh, gluten-free, low carb, um, now I'm going to have a carnivore. I want to have a vegan. Like I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I just want to talk to everybody because there's so many different ways of eating. I'd like everybody to be able to like explain it. I have no, you know, I have no skin in the game. I don't care how anyone eats and you know, you listen, I, I really don't. I don't think twice about that. Everybody who has type one diabetes is going to use insulin. Um, it, it just depends on how much and when, but I think understanding how to use it impacts everybody's eating. So I just thought, you know what? It's not, it's not me saying this is the right thing to do or that's the right thing to do. Cause I didn't, I genuinely don't have a feeling about that, but I think it's, uh, I think it's kind of important to talk about. I, I want somebody to have the nerve to come on and say, I have just a standard American diet. I eat a lot of processed food. I have meat. I have vegetables once in a while. I drink soda. Like I, I want someone to come on and talk about that as well. So, but this guy's gonna, you know, he's going to talk about, you know, that, 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 side of the theory that you know a long time ago people just ate meat and oh paleo yeah well it, but even more so like i i don't understand the difference even so they call it carnivore it'll be interesting to find out the whole reason i i, I reached to him as a doctor instead of just a person with type 1 diabetes who eats that way is because i thought he could speak very specifically to fat and protein and how it makes your blood sugar go up because he's not type 1 but he wears a cgm so I thought, why don't we see what it looks like in a regular person who's also a doctor and can kind of explain it? So that's my that's my real goal about having him on. I think that should be interesting for sure. And then he can talk about how he eats too. Anyway, hmm. um, so how are you finding having diabetes? You, do you manage with pens, needles, pumps? What do you do? Um, I will say diabetes is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> very annoying Um, annoying. so in the beginning i was definitely still honeymooning so i was just on traceba once a day usually i didn't even bolus for meals unless it was like thai food Mm -hmm. so i I felt like a baby diabetic but um, a great intro into this world and then a couple months before pregnancy i noticed i had to start bolusing for meals so i was on humlog jr because you can do half units (laughs) that's nice (laughs) i actually really liked it i still have some pens in my fridge and then a couple months, I knew I was going to start trying to get pregnant. So then I asked my endo for a pump. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you promote Omnipod, but I chose the Tandem T-Slim. I know people that love the T-Slim. I love my T-Slim. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she kind of was like, well, we need to fudge the numbers a little bit because you're only using you know, 10 units a day. But if you think it'll be helpful for your management, and I know you want to get pregnant. So now I'm on Dexcom. And the T-Slim, and I'm in sleep mode 24-7 on Control IQ, and I love it. My A1C is phenomenal yeah. for pregnancy, and I feel pretty good. And 
I wake up in range every day. <laughs> I was going to so what is your range? What's your, what are you shooting for? Yeah, so that's an interesting thing with control IQ. So pregnancy, the textbook is they want you under 100 or under 90 fasted. Mm -hmm. And then under 120 post-meal, not over 140 ever. Let's be real, that's impossible, especially with insulin resistance. Um, so I shoot for an A1C under 6. And as, however I manage that is however I get it. Yeah, that's interesting about the resistance. So how much did your you said you were using like less than 10 units a day, but how much are you really using now that you're pregnant? So I'm 25 weeks. So I'm almost in third trimester. And yesterday I used 65 units. Hey, so I'm a real diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> you're in the game now, aren't you? <laughs> like you went from this is what? stressful. <laughs> <laughs> what is stressful? Yeah. Just managing. It's like, yeah. especially the guilt that I feel carrying another human's life. And when I'm over 140 and, they try to scare you. I'm not going to repeat the scary stuff, but anyone who's thought about getting pregnant with type one knows that they try to scare the heck out of you. Yeah. Well, there have been enough people on here who, um, who have been pregnant and not known it. And it, a miscarriage comes pretty quickly. If your blood sugar is high like that. I just interviewed, I just interviewed a girl last night who is a recovering heroin addict mm. and her diagnosis story is so folded in heroin use that she didn't see her her diabetes right away either, and she was pregnant in there and lost her baby. I that, last night I came out of here and my wife's like, "You were in there for two hours." I was like, "That was the most fascinating conversation I've ever had in my life because there was so much about her life that I just had no context for." You know, I'm like, "I don't even drink," and she's talking about, you know, Oxycontin and, you know, how it moves into other things. And and by the way, like, I don't know if this means anything. I think it does. You could not look at her and think, I'm looking at a person who used heroin for 10 years. Just you couldn't, you couldn't see it. I don't know what that means, but, you know, or doesn't mean, but I just, I never in a million years would have guessed. If you lined her up with a bunch of people and made me pick, it just wouldn't have been her. It was kind of fascinating, but, but back to your insulin resistance, I'm going to start talking more about this, um, uh, because I'm fascinated with leaps in insulin use and how people's minds can't wrap around it. Right. Because it's always doubled. You always hear people online say, I, I made it a hundred percent more and it still didn't work. So, that, so that must not be it, you know, like, and they'll do it like for like little kids or for adults, like, you know, somebody whose basil's, I don't know, 0.5 an hour. They'll be like, I made it one. My blood sugar is still 250. What else do you think could be wrong? And I'm like, that you limited yourself by doubling your basil and thinking that it, but there's something about that. The percentage I've moved. There's a, it's the hundred. It's just, do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's just, yeah. I made it a hundred percent more. That's and in their mind, that's like that's as far as I could go. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to talk about that more because I see that with so many people as a as a limiting uh, problem for them. But how do you how do you make the leap? How do you get to like 65? You just see the need and just meet it with insulin. Yeah, it was scary in the beginning because pre-pregnancy, if I bolus two units, I would have been scared of lows just because mm -hmm. I didn't really need that. My pancreas was still producing some insulin for me yeah um so i just you know my endo at the beginning i love her she said pregnancy is gonna make your insulin go 
psycho one way or the other. You're going to go low. You're going to go high. You know, you're going to use a ton. You're going to use nothing. Um, she said, do not think about the number. Think about it's helping you grow your baby and that's it. So I try not to look at the number. Um, occasionally I'll go in and look at the totals. And then if it's really wonky, like one day I had 85 units at before bed, I mean, before dinner and I changed my infusion set turned out it was kinked. So mm-hmm. that's how I use it. But I, I try not to get in my head about it. I think as diabetics, we already have so many numbers running around and it's really a platform for an eating disorder. Um, so that was my thing with pregnancy is I'm not counting carbs. I'm not looking at my weight. I'm focusing solely on the diabetic numbers and that's it. And that was my boundary with the doctors. What do you think that is um, about the idea that a lot more insulin feels wrong to people? Um, I think it might be shameful because we've grown up in a society where type twos make up the majority of the diabetic population and being on insulin is sort of a shameful thing. And so if you can get away with a little bit of it, that's okay. But once, so I have, a, I sneak a cigarette after dinner, but I don't smoke all the time. Like that kind of thing. Um, that feeling of if I do enough of it, see, it's funny because I don't have type one. I can't wrap my head around it. You, you know what I mean? And I've always just been very, just use as much insulin as the situation requires mindset. Hmm. But I do, I do understand what you're saying, and and I've heard it echoed by a, a, a ton of people, honestly. You know, which is why I wanted to talk about it as well with you and and with you know somebody else in the future because it's, it 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 doesn't make any rational sense that it feels like a failure to use three units for a meal instead of one unit for a meal. But it but it totally is how people feel sometimes. I think for me, it was more fear because pregnancy lows are way worse than normal lows for me. So the couple of times I've been like really low for me, it was horrible. Um, and so I think it was more the fear of like last night, I bolused 11 units for dinner, which had you told me that pre-pregnancy, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to eat like handfuls of cotton candy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it's just the fear of miscalculating and going extremely low it's, there's no shame in my numbers for me personally, but I understand the stigma. Mm-hmm. And I had a family member, we were on a FaceTime recently while I was pregnant and my pump was beeping, whatever. And they said, oh, why are you using insulin? Can't you just take a pill? You know, my family member was had diabetes during pregnancy like you, gestational is not like me. Mm-hmm. She just took a pill. Why can't you just take a pill? You know, you need less insulin. And I was like, we're getting off the phone now. (laughs) I'm going to send you an email with academic articles about how wrong that is. So I think that's just the stigma in a lot of communities in America, unfortunately. Look who thinks they know something. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, gestational, I wish. (laughs) I would buy that. I would pay money to switch to gestational. Is there a switch I can throw? Yeah, I mean, I understand that. Listen, I understand a person having a different experience, not understanding your situation and voicing the experience. I don't get the doubling down and the being nasty about it part. That's strange to me, but it's very, very human for some reason. Everybody thinks they have the better answer and it isn't enough to just share it with you. They want you to accept it. You know, like, do you think, do you think she thought she was saving you or do you think she felt like 
I know better than you and you're not listening. I wonder what that is. Not that you would know either, but I'm fascinated by that. Um, it, um I don't, I think it's an ageist thing as well. Oh, really? Just like they know better because I'm in my mid twenties. Oh, yeah. you're young. You couldn't possibly understand this. Like I, yeah, do. but <laughs> I'm type one. <laughs> yeah. How about I have it and you don't, <laughs> but even, like, yeah. you know, that, that, that translates right out. Cause we talked about it earlier, right? The way people eat. You know, you have a, you seem to have a, what I consider a reasonable idea. Like I am, you know, I eat vegetarian and you can, if you want to or not and whatever, and uh, not, you know, I'm going to spend my entire life um, screaming as loud as I can at everybody who doesn't understand and believe what I believe. Um, but that boy, it really does happen a lot, doesn't it? So what did we talk about last time that we haven't gotten to yet that your brain is going, I can't believe he hasn't asked me about this because I know there's got to be something. So last time we talked, I was still on injections. I wasn't on the pump yet. I was barely using insulin. So you really talked about, or you asked me questions, I think, about how it was being a slow-onset diabetic and how that feels um, and being integrated in a type 1 community when you're still sort of a baby diabetic, per se. So you were trying... social aspects. Yeah, you were trying... And you're involved online a little bit, right? Yeah, occasionally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you just feel like an outsider? Like I don't really have the same diabetes they have. So I did not feel that way. Um, I don't judge people on their management of anything, medical or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but people judged me, which was hard, and not just me, but like the identity of Lada or slow onset type one. Okay. So, so you that sh- was. I mean, I'm a type one. I just manage differently at the beginning than other type ones. So is the is the larger issue you show up in a space, your life's been turned upside down. You have diabetes, but you show up and these people don't think your diabetes is, I don't know, as diabetes as their diabetes. And so you're not the same and you get shunned away for that. Like you're not allowed to be part of this group. I wouldn't say shunned, but I would say almost laughed at like I, I went to, so there's a phenomenal adult type one meetup group in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, not during COVID pre COVID. I love but, how everybody has to say that <laughs> I wear a mask. Don't worry. <laughs> like, 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 okay, I believe you, <laughs> but go ahead. Not during COVID of course, but pre COVID. And I remember going to my first meetup and being brand new and, you know, I was still on Traceba. I just wasn't on very much hemolog and I identified as a type one. Cause that's what my, medical records say and yeah. it doesn't matter anyway i remember someone being like you haven't been in the 300s yet you're not a real diabetic it was like shaming me for having a half working pancreas it was really odd yeah well you would think that people would say hey that's great do you want to know what's going to happen later you know because i could tell you because it's happening to me right now and do you th- i wonder if that just is from the people who are their onsets very quick and they never got to experience what they probably seems like a, you know, the classic uh, definition of honeymoon, which is, you know, a whimsical free time, you, you know, uh, and maybe they're jealous that it didn't happen for them that way. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. to me. I mean, you're at a meetup group. You'd think these would be the people, <laughs> excuse me, who would be like, oh, I, let me explain more to you. I tell you, I don't. Are you in my Facebook group? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I accidentally said Arden and Hashimoto's and you corrected me. That, oh, that, okay. So <laughs> I, I think that is the most inclusive space I've seen so far. I don't see people 
arbitrarily being, you know, snippy with each other, I think is probably the best way to put it. Like mm-hmm. just wanting to infer my diabetes is worse than yours or, you know, like that kind of thing. I don't see that in there. Um, I mean, I haven't, it just hasn't been a problem. I, I keep crossing my fingers that it keeps going that way um, because I don't understand the, I mean, I guess there's a psychological understanding, but I just don't know what it is. I did have a couple people when I shared my story at these initial meetups that said, that's amazing. Keep your beta cells as long as you can. So there are people that are supportive and understand honeymooning and things like that. Um, So these sort of negative folks are one off, but I think changing my identity to type one, as opposed to LADA helped a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially because I I've now spoken to so many people who have, or had been LADA and they can't really define it. Do you know what I mean? Like, are you okay? What's oh, I'm just 143. I I'm Sorry, I'm in a bowl. Sorry, we're bolusing. Pregnancy, they it's like every second I have an alarm. <laughs> You're bumping and nudging a lot, are you? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the T Slim Connect app, the new app? I saw a picture of it. I haven't seen it like up close. Do you want to see on the video and we can explain it? Yeah, let me see. Let me hear it pulled up. It's actually pretty cool. It's helpful for me. Um, so it mimics your, it's going to take a second. I just pulled it, but it mimics your Dexcom. And then it can show you what your number when you bullist. Oh, I see. So now I'm at 143 and it told me I'm alarmed. Oh, yep. And I just gave three units extended. Okay. But you can scroll. How far? Oh, like sugar mate. You can roll backwards. I like that. Oh, yeah, actually- you can see like I stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked yesterday. <laughs> It's not stacking if you need it, sir. <laughs> um, yeah, but I just couldn't come down below. Yeah. And again, I know my control is way tighter in pregnancy, but I just, you can see I was barely under 120 all day. That's really amazing. That's a good app. I like that. Oh, it's phenomenal. And you yeah. can see, you can't bolus from it yet or anything, but you can see like what my basal rate is, what my carb ratio is, the time I started my Dexcom. What's the functionality then? You alarm, did you pick your phone up or did you pick your pump up? My pump vibrated because it's set at 140 for pregnancy and i right. bullish Ar- listen arden's is set at 120 for because i like to i like to react sooner to avoid those sorts of things uh, we just made a pretty large bolus before i started recording with you and um she's like i didn't get an alarm and i said no my phone's set lower than yours <laughs> <laughs> oh that's interesting yeah, yeah my dex comes at 120 so that's why i was looking at my watch because my watch was alarming me but yeah. I had a bunch of insulin on board, so I wasn't correcting it. I hear I have an alarm that's 10 points lower than hers for her high. So that, you know, sometimes we're not together, right? And sometimes it takes, you know, co- uh, communication time. So I'm always about knowing what I'm doing in time to make it a valuable decision. You know, I don't want to hear, like, I don't want to hear 130 because the way Arden's blood sugars work, 130 is going to be 150, but 120, I can stop 150 is, is sort of the idea. Um, and I do want to move it down. I do want, I, I would rather my alarm go off at 110 and hers go off at 120, but we're getting to that. So we'll see. I'm just trying to put think, her in a mindset. I think that's another interesting part of being diagnosed as an adult. My parents were not involved in my management. They never will be. Yeah, ever. 
If Ever. You, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, for sure, they're definitely not. <laughs> you should get that ant. Mis- sorry? Get that ant to help you. <laughs> or whoever she was, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the gestational who took yeah, yeah, the pill. Yeah, get yeah. her. <laughs> I'm, I made the mistake of putting my mom on my Dexcom really early on. That wasn't, no. <laughs> no, just, that was a mistake. So, yeah, it's interesting as an adult because, like, my parents couldn't ever do this. And they never did. That's the thing. Yeah. No, it would take, it would probably take you, I mean, you don't live with them. It would take you years to explain it to them. And, and so they had it meaningfully. Let them listen to the podcast. They want to understand it better. And then they'll be up your butt. They'll be like, Sarah, we know what to do. We were listening to episode 214. And <laughs> you'll be like, leave me alone. <laughs> It's interesting because for labor, a lot of the hospitals make you go on an insulin drip. Have you heard this? Uh huh. Yeah, I have. So I'm refusing unless I'm like in a coma because one, control IQ is smarter than I am about my diabetes. So mm-hmm. why would I give up control? But also, standard is they put you on an insulin drip, check your blood sugar by finger prick once an hour, mm-hmm. and then adjust once an hour. <laughs> You know, you've seen the you've seen the other side. You're not going to do that. You heard Samantha talk about it, right? About her delivery on the show. Um, I think I listened to the first episode of hers. Okay, yeah, she she came on and talked about she was you know had had her baby already, and uh, he's very cute, and um, and she talked about the delivery and and how she managed. She set her husband up so that if something happened, he could keep doing it. They managed straight through on their own. Everything was great. Um. And then after the baby, of course, her insulin needs like immediately went back down. Um, she talked a little bit about, and we're going to talk more about this with some other people who've been pregnant. The um, how she how striking it was that after the baby was there, how they treated her like a standard hospitalized diabetic again. It was like I think she said it was kind of shocking the difference because the you know the people. I don't think people really think about it in a hospital setting. You go into a hospital to have a baby. The people in that room are part of a team that work with the doctor. You've had that whole conversation with them. I'm going to manage my blood sugar, blah, blah. And that's all great. And then the the baby comes out and now you're in the hands of completely different people who you've never had that conversation with once. And now they're just like, this is how we handle people with diabetes. You're going to get a finger stick every hour. This is going to happen. And you're, you're having this. She said, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, in this moment where she was trying to just, you know, convalesce and enjoy her family, suddenly she was in this kind of hellscape of being treated mm. the way people treat you with diabetes. I don't know. Dexcom has been on recently talking about how COVID has allowed them to get CGM sensors into hospitals. And it's not going to be in time for, you know, your birth, but hopefully they'll understand how to use them better in the future. Um I think it's a really good first step. So, well, it doesn't matter because I'm signing any form that says I'm controlling my own diabetes. Leave me alone. They're not. They're not welcome to, unless I'm in a coma. They are not welcome to give or any insulin dextrose or anything. My husband knows how to use it. I have a diabetes who's going to be on call during labor for my husband to call her with any help. Yeah. Let me say this, and and I'll talk around it just a little bit. Uh, but it's possible that when Arden had her laparoscopic to take out the cyst that I might have forgotten to turn the loop off when she went into the operating room. It just, I forgot. And it was fine. Turned out that loop worked great. Even when she was having her little surgery for 45 minutes. Um, 
it's uh there's no reason to think it's not going to work the same because that you know of that and i showed them look i showed them how to like i'm like you can disable this right here like if you want to shut her her insulin off completely i was like do this and it'll be off you know and then you can manage her any way you want if there's a problem while she's in there i didn't put her into a situation but they were just like we don't want this thing to make decisions while she's under it i'm like yeah you do you just don't know it (laughs) yeah (laughs) right why is an l and d nurse know more about my diabetes than control iq that's been watching my patterns for at that point, nine months. Right. I told the story on here, but <clears throat> as you know, we had had the initial conversation with the doctor doing the, the procedure and she's like, yeah, it's fine. But then when the first nurse came in to prep her, she didn't have that conversation. She's like, no, you can't use this. And had right. a nurse not walked in eventually, because I just kept retelling my story to anybody I had made face contact with. One of the one of the nurses came in and she's like, oh, my friend's a type one. Let me see. And she goes, oh, I've seen this before. And because she, it was, there was nothing medical about it, she had some sort of like knowledge of like, I've seen a Dexcom screen before. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I was like, that's it? That's how we make decisions around here? Okay. <laughs> Whatever. I had shoulder surgery in December, my third shoulder surgery, but, but my first as a diabetic. Yeah. And um, I went in with a Dexcom. I was on injections then. And I, I gave the actual, what do you call it? The receiver. I don't use it anymore. Mm-hmm. To the anesthesiologist. And I remember him being like, oh, my God, am I going to be responsible for this? What if it doesn't work? What what happens? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> everybody's worried about what's, what could go wrong instead of focusing on all the things that are going to go right from this. And by the way, you know how to handle it when it when people don't have it. So just ride it out and see what happens. You just said something that reminded me like we we talked about that the first time. Like, why do you have so many? Have you had so many shoulder surgeries? You just love them. You addicted. Sure. <laughs> no, Um. <laughs> I was a serious rock climber in high school and I tore my labrum rotator cuff and bicep in Yosemite and it just kept, now my shoulder works. You can see in the video, but yeah. it's pretty amazing. Um, so my first surgery was labrum rotator cuff, um, part of my collarbone. Second surgery, they cut my pec minor cause I had thoracic outlet syndrome. Mm-hmm. I sent you that link to yeah. make sure Arden didn't have it. And then the third one in December when I was in diabetic was, um, a bicep tenodesis, which means they took my biceps long head anchor out of its home and reattached it somewhere else. So I have a bunch of scars. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. I have uh, also had rotator cuff surgery, and I'm excited to, to put my arm over yeah. my head just like you did. Uh, it, mine's a little stiff still. Do you have a little stiffness? You know, this last surgery, this surgeon was phenomenal. Yeah. I, I was so nervous going into it because the first two didn't help. But yeah, no, it's the only limitation I have is weight bearing. And that's why I did it. Cause I couldn't, cause my bicep was torn. I couldn't hold a baby mm-hmm. hypothetically, but now I can't. No, you can't. Okay. Well, <laughs> and I have to yeah. real soon. It's going to say that's going to come in handy. I, um, I had a motorcycle accident when I was like 20 and I got thrown from a motorcycle and I came down on my head and my shoulder. So I hit like this Ouch. and this shoulder hit the, the ground. I was like up and down and, um, I was broke. I've said it on here a million times. I grew up really broke. I wasn't riding a motorcycle for fun. I was riding a motorcycle because they were affordable transportation. <laughs> and um, my shoulder, like, I still have, like, a lump here. Like, yeah, bone, I see. Right? There's, like, a like a thing that sticks up. And uh, they're like, you have to go to the hospital. I was like, you're not taking me to the hospital. I was like, I can't afford that. So I went home. And I laid there while my shoulder was, you know, really busted up inside. And for years, it just... it. I didn't notice like it was okay. Like once it healed, I was okay. But my God, like 
I'm going to say about five years ago now, I, it just, it got worse and worse and worse. I couldn't throw with my son anymore. And one day I had a water bottle in my hand. We were actually at a thing. My son was working out for uh, a, co- a college trying to you know get recruited and I couldn't walk around and hold the water bottle in my hand because it hurt too much. And I was like, I got to go see a surgeon. So my, <laughs> my bones had reformed. Like when they, when I went in and I got the initial x-ray, the doctor said, I'll bleep this out. He goes, I wish you were a doctor so you could look at this and see how fucked up your shoulder is <laughs> and really understand it. And I was like, really? He goes, he goes, this broke and it's all calcified over and it regrew. And he goes, and there's a spot where your rotator cuff like goes, like it runs through, it moves. And he goes, and there's this lump there and the lump's been cutting your rotator cuff tendon your whole life. And it finally just snapped. And I was like, ew. ew. And then he started yeah. showing me and I was like, oh, it does look fun. And because then he started showing me one from a book, I was like, oh, my God. So they went in and they cleaned that bone up and reattached the ligament and everything. But the recovery is not it's not quick and it's not pleasant. So um, I should have went to the hospital that day and just had a bill I couldn't pay. (laughs) I had to teach my husband how to braid my hair because when you're in a sling, you can't do your hair. Yeah. Oh, the the sleeping after the surgery was terrible. Oh, for anyone who's going to get any shoulder surgery, you have to invest in a lazy boy. That is the only way you can sleep after shoulder surgery. And I've had three. You have to be up. <laughs> Kelly would pile pillows around me at night and like, and I was up like this and it worked for the most part, but it, man, it was bad. And I, I tried really hard to not use the pain medication too. So they gave me the first one. I remember coming home and Kelly's like, you know, they want you to take a pill now. Like as I was coming out of the surgery, I was like, I'll be all right. And the nurse looked at me and she's like, like just <laughs> nodding her head, like you're an idiot, you know? And so she finally spoke up and I said something incredibly inappropriate coming out of the anesthesia. So I sure. think she was already like, what am I doing here with this moron? You know, but so when I started being a person again, she's like, seriously, she goes, just shut up and take the pill. And I was like, okay. So that first prescription I took. And then when it ended, I was like, I don't need more. But then I realized I did. And I said to the doctor, I'm like, you got to give me something that's not as like harsh as this thing. So we kind of like stepped down from there. And I didn't finish that bottle. There was a day where I was just like, I don't need this anymore. I'm okay. Probably like two weeks into it, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm thrilled I did it now. But it's kind of scary. The interesting thing for me after my surgery was... I was still honeymooning. I was still mostly just on Traceba. Mm-hmm. And my immune system for the next month healing focused on my shoulder instead of attacking my pancreas. And I swear I was not diabetic for a month. Now you think you think all the white blood cells ran somewhere else? They were busy with something else? I mean, I took off my Dexcom. I had a Dexcom break for a month. My A1C came back lower than it was before. <laughs> it was actually really astonishing. I was like, I should have more surgeries. It'll cure this I don't want anyone listening to start cutting tendons in their arms to make their blood sugars go down. I don't think that's going to work. That might have been an anecdotal thing that she's found. (laughs) Just kidding. The joke I make is my diabetes and I, we tried ever since. Have Mm -hmm. you talked about ever since on your podcast? Yeah, the uh, implantable CGM. The dumbest decision I've ever made in my entire life. Tell me why. (laughs) Well, I can show you because we're on video, but the ever since scar is bigger than nine out of, wait, I have 12, 11 out of 12 of, of my shoulder surgery scars. It's massive. 
And it was painful, even though they inject lidocaine and it was inaccurate. And I live in Colorado and I'm active where it's sunny. And anytime I was in the sun, the stupid thing read over 300, even though I was well within range, just because the sun affected the, I don't know. It was the dumbest decision I ever made to get that stupid thing. (laughs) Ever since CGM sensing technology, the dumbest decision I've ever made. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was horrible. It was a horrible device. Are they still making it? It went out of business, didn't it? Didn't COVID push it out of business? I hope so. <laughs> but really, there's I have a diabetes Sarah. We're like doppelgangers. It's kind of crazy, but we met online in the online diabetic community, and we right. tried ever since around the same time, and that's how we became friends. No kidding. Well, they still we hated a, it. <laughs> they still have a. You became friends because you hated it. <laughs> yeah, she posted on Instagram um, about how much she hated it, and I was like, "Wait, I hate it too." <laughs> Well, it's they're still they still have a website, so I guess they're still in business. But I had heard, I felt like I heard towards the beginning of COVID that they couldn't ship product or something. Ha- I I forget now. I really don't know. Honestly, I'm just saying things I could be completely wrong about. But I feel like that's something I heard. Um, yeah, I think they're. Uh, it seems like they're still chugging along here. But uh, I'm miracles uh, happen. What it makes me feel like is. Imagine you put on a Dexcom sensor that wasn't working really well and you couldn't just take it off and put on another one because it was under your skin. <laughs> that would be uh that seems like an issue to me. But I wore the Eversense and the Dexcom for two weeks together mm-hmm. at the end of the Eversense. I only wore it for two months and then I called him. I said, get this stupid thing out of me. Right. Anyway, it was so incorrect, it made my management worse. It was horrible. Yeah. Jeez. Well, that's a, a ringing endorsement. <laughs> I love Dexcom. <laughs> I love Dexcom. <laughs> did we set this up? Tell people we did not set this up to say, because I heard you say earlier, I know it's in people's heads when they know the show. Like you're like, like I, I asked about your pump and you're like, well, I know you promote Omnipod, but I have a T-Slim. I don't, I don't think of it as promoting Omnipod. I think Arden uses an Omnipod. I love it. And I can speak about it from her experience. She loves it. She could speak about it from her experience. And they buy ads on the podcast. Like, I don't think that's the, I don't know. Like, it might be a distinguishment in my head that's unimportant. But, like, I'm happy to talk about your T-Slim pump. And I don't think, I don't think Omnipod thinks people don't believe there are other insulin pumps, you know. So I think once they come out with Horizon or whatever they renamed it, it'll be a game changer. But for me, I couldn't give up the control IQ you wanted the for algorithm. tubeless. yeah. Uh yeah, Omnipod five. I think they're gonna call it. I think it's Omnipod five with Horizon, but I'm not even. Ooh. I'm not even certain. But it does sound fancier like that. Yeah. Yeah, I've um talked to some people who are in trials, and they're not supposed to talk about it. And I definitely, <laughs> and I definitely can't tell you what they told me, but it sounds like it's going well to me. So if it's anything like Control IQ, it'll be a game changer. Yeah. No, it's. I I think it'll be. I mean, Loop is stunningly amazing so i think these algorithms are for anybody who wants them just once you get the settings right and you sort of just understand how it works you know what i mean and you can and you can play in the sandbox it is an algorithm and and with some comfort it's it's amazing i i'm astonished by it it's um and when we first started doing it arden would say why are we doing this when we're so much better at it than this is (laughs) <laughs> and uh i said well sweetie i agree with you i was like but i have slept a little more so let's try to keep going and see what happens because i'm almost 50 and i don't know how much longer i can 
get up once a night every night of my life. I was like, it's okay once in a while. Like she was um she was a little high last night. And I people will probably laugh at me. Like I didn't go to sleep until like two o'clock last night because Arden's blood sugar was stuck at like 145. <laughs> I'm sure most people were like, you're an idiot. You should have went to sleep. But I was like, I could fix this. So like I I fixed it. I got her back to 90. And then I was kind of, uh, then I started a TV show. So I was like, oh, I'll just finish my show. And uh, and then I went to sleep. But I guess I had the Netflix thing not been in the mix. I would have been asleep more like one o'clock, which, you know, but I just didn't want her to be 150 overnight. So is she not looping right now? She is. It just wasn't. Oh, I think I, I, what I'm thinking, because I just she made basal changes this morning. I think her basal mm. was a little low. I think this sedentary Zoom lifestyle is starting to catch up with her a little bit. So, and yeah, I, you know. I, I'm a graduate student and I teach on Zoom yeah. all remote and I sit on my behind all day. <laughs> what, what do you think of teaching online? Do you think it's commiserate to being in person or no? Um, you know, I love it selfishly, but I know my students are really struggling with being engaged in learning. Mm-hmm. And my son's talking about, he, he's incensed sometimes. He's just like, I'm, I'm teaching myself. It's like this guy's making, you know, speaking about one of his professors, he's like, he makes these videos and then he chats during class and then you have to go back and watch those. He's like, it's almost like you're in two different classes, first of all. And he's like, you don't have the ability to look up and just say, hey, you just said something here. It didn't make sense to me. You know, you have to hmm. take a note and you have to go to office hours. And and if you don't have time, you know, he's like, sometimes people's office hours are during other classes and I can't do that. There's no kids to walk out of the room with and look at and go, hey, did you understand like all that little those pieces? And he's taken uh, takes some pretty tough courses. So it's uh it's been a it's been like a struggle for him. He's a really good student, and and it's been a struggle for him. Um, Arden seems to love it. <laughs> I don't think if you said to Arden she never had to go back to high school, she'd be like, "All right." <laughs> so I it's, agree. It's good with me. <laughs> we could eat during class. We don't have to worry about packing snacks. She's in her bed right now, like up against the wall with her knees up and her laptop, and she's got like a bottle of water over here, and you know she's just she seems pretty happy but you know she's not moving around as much as she needs to be i think that's clear from her from her insulin use and um i don't know she just she's a a social person with her circle but she's not looking to meet every person that goes to that school like she's not like oh no i'm missing out on the dance or like she doesn't have those thoughts she she doesn't give a she just doesn't care but anyway so is it easier for you to teach on Zoom or learn on Zoom? Um, you know, both. I was so nervous about, <laughs> this sounds ridiculous, but I was, I live in Colorado. I was nervous about in December, eight, eight months pregnant, waddling around an icy campus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have that worry anymore because I just waddle from my toilet to here and to my bed. What do you, what's your, <laughs> from the toilet to here to my bed? The life of a pregnant person. <laughs> <laughs> and the fridge, that too. <laughs> Arden. Arden probably wouldn't want me to tell you that she took her computer into the bathroom once and she's like the the teacher called on me <laughs> her video was on no no she she did that oh. you know they show like the you know the top of the head thing that they all like just they don't like the video is on but you don't show them anything so she muted her video walked in just you know sat in there and then she got called on, so she turned the video back on, just showed the top of her head, answered, and then and shut it back off again. 
But she's like, Dad, wow. I was taking it. See, my students, to get full attendance, they have to be present, full face view in the camera, dressed not in pajamas, and they can't be moving around because it makes me nauseous. Yeah. For full attendance, <laughs> you have to be like here in class. <laughs> I'd rather you be in pajamas than move around, just so you know. Uh, but, oh, yeah, absolutely. That makes me so nauseous. Yeah. She's dressed and everything. Like, she gets up and she gets ready and, you know, all that. She's just like, you know, I thought I could get away with it. And I was like, yeah. You should have known that wasn't going to work. You should just say, hey, look, I got to, I'll, I'm, I'll be back, you know? Uh, but she's like, I didn't want to miss anything. And I was like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. That doesn't work out usually. That's funny. <laughs> she, got, she got pinched. That's comical. Uh, yeah, it was a good time. Um, what are we not saying that we should be saying? Anything? This is a nice conversation. Um, I just don't know what we talked about. <laughs> Lada, a little bit. We talked about Hashimoto's. I think, so last time we talked about the, Last time with the recording yeah. um, that got deleted, we talked about the trauma and autoimmunes. Mm-hmm. And my area of study was another topic, which isn't that important. Yeah, um, I was about pregnant. To, I was about to ask um, to remind me what your um, your advanced degree is in. So I study communication singular, um, which means I study human based theory. And my area of research is twofold. The first is sexual violence on college campuses, how we communicate about it or really not. And then um, because of my recent diagnosis, I've also switched into how we communicate about disabilities, specifically invisible disabilities, such as type 1 diabetes. And did you get into that that practice because of a personal situation? Yeah. So that's what we talked about last time was my experience as a sexual assault survivor and how that's really fed my interest in this area of research yeah i i do remember now um it's hard to ask about twice do you know what i mean like okay. the, the first time the first time it's sort of like hey so how'd that happen and then you trip into it and you're like well i was you know and th- then i'm like okay now we're talking about it but now when i know what the answers are going to be it's hard for me to want to ask you the question that's a really i'm experiencing a very strange feeling of um but that really is a, that's an insight into me in case you're wondering, like I wasn't, I had no trouble with it the first time we did it because I didn't know it was going to come up. And now that I understand the direction that the conversation would go, I don't have it in me to ask you about it. You don't have to. No. It's, I mean, I'm happy to talk about it cause it's public knowledge, but I also recognize that it's a content warning for a lot of folks. I don't listen. That's not the part I mind. I mean, I just, I really like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I can see you this time too. I don't. Um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to because I was just thinking before it came up. You are really a, a tremendous communicator, and so it makes <laughs> it make seriously. You speak measured. You don't speed up or slow down. You laugh appropriately so that it doesn't overwhelm my conversation. You're waiting for my cues. I'm. You know, all that's. You're a great communicator, and. I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me that now that I see you and you're younger and I'm, I, I, all that, like, do you know what I mean? Like when it's just a voice, I can, I can just put you, I don't know. Well, it's very strange for me, but would you mind telling the story? No. So, um, I will give a content warning for folks who may feel triggered by sexual violence. I'm not going to go into detail at all because that's personal, but, um, long story short in my undergrad, I transferred from NYU to a school in Colorado. Um, I liked New York city, but I liked rock climbing more. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And my first 
year in Colorado at undergrad, um, I made friends with someone in a rock climbing group. And long story short, again, content warning, um, he got me incredibly intoxicated. I was 19, incredibly intoxicated and took advantage of me in his apartment. Mm -hmm. And I reported the, and I'm not going to use the word because I think it's quite triggering for folks, but um, the university called it non-consensual sexual intercourse, which we all know what that really means. Yeah. Um, But anyway, I reported this incident to the university and to the police because he was a member of the university and I'm not sure if you're familiar, but um, most people sign codes of conduct or something similar for universities. One of them is, I won't steal from the dining halls. I won't harass people. I won't commit violence against people. Right. Um, it's a different level of proof. So through the university, he was found guilty, per se, through the code of conduct for a couple of things, including what I just said. Mm-hmm. And was kicked off campus. Um, and then I went through the police system, which we know is very hard to find a conviction and he wasn't convicted because it was just him and I, he said, she said, but I was able to get a restraining order or a protection order, which was the benefit of the police investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, long story short, the university didn't handle it right. Cause they were going to allow my assailant back on campus a semester after he committed the violence. And I was furious. So I ended up, I'm going to say this very nonchalantly, but I ended up filing a title nine complaint against my university in Colorado with the government <laughs> Cause I was really mad at how they mishandled it. Yeah. And so now my research is in title nine and how policies around sexual violence on college campuses don't meet the practices, even though they may sound phenomenal on paper in their policies, the practices don't really line up because they want to cover their behinds. Is that, is that the crux of it right there? It's just about not being liable. It's about the, the college not wanting to open itself up to you suing them because they hired this person. Is that, do you think, at its core, why it's not prosecuted differently or why he wasn't kicked off forever or do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, um, the laws have changed recently, um, partially for politics, but I will say, so, um, universities are afraid of getting sued on either side and I threatened to sue them. We settled out of court. Mm -hmm. This is all public knowledge. So I'm not telling you some big bad secret. Um, so you can do for Title IX, you can do two a couple of things. One is report internally to the university. I did that to the Title IX office. You can go to the Office for Civil Rights through the Department of Education and report an entire university at whole, mm-hmm. which I did. And then you can also sue them and or threaten to sue them for monetary settlement outside of the university, which I also did. Um, but I think that they're afraid that if they expel an assailant, the assailant will sue them. So it's kind of goes, they have to find a middle ground where they meet the survivor's needs, but also they're not afraid of getting sued by the assailant. <laughs> It'd be funny. Like if you're going to get sued by somebody, why would that be the person you give the preferential side of the treatment to? That's a, but I, I'm trying to, as you're talking, trying to put myself in that position, like I'm making myself a college and trying to wonder about all the, the avenues that we could take hits from if, if I was in this situation, I'm also thinking that sexual assault on a college campus is going to happen, right? It's, it's fate complete that it's going to happen. Like colleges don't not have that happen, right? So my argument, and this is what I try to show in my research is that I think it stems from communication at a young age. So you know how, um, hopefully you didn't do this, but I'm not judging you if you did, but you know how when you have toddlers and you're tickling them and they're laughing and they're saying, stop, stop, stop. And you keep tickling them. Mm -hmm. 
you're breaking their consent. So my own research-based philosophy is that we need to teach what consent means from a very young age, pre-sexual consent. So that when we get to the age where there is sexual consent, people know what consent looks like, doesn't look like, feels like, doesn't feel like. So there's no ambiguity in the situation, if that makes sense. It does. No, it makes a lot of sense. And how you could carry that into adulthood, it, it, it could show you, like everybody knows a person who doesn't want to be touched if they don't know it's going to happen or, you know, you can't just walk up to them and give them a hug or a kiss. And some people just really don't care. You, you know, it's a, it's a very personal thing. And it's not just personality. It definitely comes from something in their past, you, you know, something that happened to them or was just a, a norm in their home that didn't jive with who they were or something as horrible as this, you know. 90% of college sex assaults are acquaintances. So it's not the typical story you hear of in a back alley behind a dumpster, guy grabs girl off the street. It's most of them are acquaintances that they know and are familiar with. Um, And typically there's a lot of substance abuse involved, alcohol or drugs or whatnot. Yeah. Um, That sounds about right. Okay. Wow. (laughs) I know how to end on an up note. Don't I, sir? (laughs) Well, you know, we talked about this at the beginning Last time Last you're time. like, wow, I did not expect us to yeah. talk about this. I just didn't, I didn't want to, it's, it's important and I didn't want to let it go. So, um, I just didn't know I was going to have so much trouble bringing it up the second time. That was really crazy because I've had, so for clarity for people before we, before we say goodbye, I had to change computer systems. And when I migrated, Sarah's file didn't migrate the way I thought it did. It, it migrated as an empty shell And I sat on my old computer system for months, but I'm so recorded out in the future that by the time I got to wanting to put your episode up and I found an empty shell of a file, the computer that I'd saved, I got rid of. Mm. It was just taking up space and I blanked it out and I I got rid of it. It was junk. Actually, that's a lie. I gave it to my mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) She's 78. She just needs the internet and stuff, you know? So um, I blanked it out and gave it to her. And then I actually got her, if you can try to imagine, I got my 78-year-old mother on the phone. I was like, I need you to search my computer for Sarah, and let me spell the last name. And, and she's like, search it. I'm like, the spyglass, mom. Click on the spyglass. And it's just like, I was like, ah. Uh, but she did a good job, and she searched the computer, and it wasn't there, which I didn't expect it to be. It was my last-ditch effort. And then I had to do the difficult thing of contacting you and saying, hey, I was about to put your episode out, and it turns out I messed up. Uh, so I really appreciate you coming back on and talking about all this again. But we got the extra bonus of you being pregnant. When do you do? You said you're 25 weeks now. Um, so technically February 3rd, but they induced diabetics between 37 and 39. So Could mid-ish January. January. Yeah. Are you excited? Are you nervous? Um, I'm absolutely thrilled. I think I've wanted a baby my entire life. I was just getting my husband on board. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we're going to do some baby classes next Month he's gonna do a daddy boot camp. <laughs> Good for him. So he's 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 getting him on board. What does that mean? Like we can afford it, we can do it. Like laying out all the the intricacies of how you're gonna take. What are you gonna do with the baby? Like uh, like you just like put it in like a like a crate when you go to work, or you think you'll leave it with a person, or how do you think you'll handle that? <laughs> so I'm taking a year off graduate school medical leave to be a mom. Okay. And then I also, we talked about this last time too. I manage a website design company on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hired an assistant who will take over during my three month maternity and then keep doing that remote and wow. sustain my Dexcom bills. 
That's it. It, it. Was that hard to like bring an ex an outside person into your like one man business? No, it's not a one man business. I run someone else's website design business, so I it's see. owned by a female entrepreneur. And then we have, I think, at this point, seven contractors underneath me that I manage. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. I just there's times where I feel like I need help with this, and then I'm like, I don't want anybody else to be involved. Like they they just don't know my aesthetic. Like, how would I teach my aesthetic to somebody? How would I teach, like, like when I'm editing, how would I say to somebody, like, I would leave that? So I don't take content out when I edit. I take out noise. But there's some breathing. This is going to sound crazy. But there's some breathing noises that are distracting. And there are some breathing noises that tell your brain that person's continuing their thought. And it it makes it not feel broken. And I don't know, I, I just, as I'm editing, I hear it right away. I'm like, I don't want somebody, this will be distracting. This needs to be here. Um, I don't know how I would teach that to somebody, you know, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm more of a control freak than I thought I was. <laughs> That's okay. Cause it's your, not your brand, but it's your, it's you, you this podcast is you. So that makes sense. I, I have that feeling like it, it, like if somebody started editing it up, it would just sound like they were. You know, like it would sound like sound bites of me chopped together instead of how I think the conversation should go. Like I put one up this weekend that was kind of unlike other ones in that I just got on with somebody who I thought was really smart, who understood this one topic. And it's something that makes me upset. And we just talked it through and at times railed on it and at times tried to imagine fixes for it. And there's a flow to that conversation that I think is right. And when I listened back to it, I thought some people aren't going to like this at all. And some people are, but I think it's important to go out this way. And I didn't know, like, so I rolled the dice and I put it out and I got one comment from somebody online. Who's like, you've talked way too much in that episode. That seems to bother people. And I'm like, okay. But then I got back tenfold from people who were like, this is really important. I'm glad you spoke about this. I really enjoyed it. I was like, okay, I can't make everybody happy. Um, but I think if I would have done what that one comment asked, because I heard it too when I was listening. I'm like, I'm talking too much in this. But if I co- if I chopped it up, it just wouldn't have, I don't think it would have felt the same. And I thought the feeling was more important than the flow of it. So I don't know how I would teach that to somebody, I guess. I don't think I could. You'd have to find a good fit creatively. Yeah. And then I have to pay them. And uh, I don't have that much money. <laughs> you know, like where would I get that money from? You imagine if I had an employee, I'll tell you what, if I ever have a podcast as an employee one day, I'm going to declaratively say out loud, I've, I've succeeded at this because that does not seem like a thing to me. I know somebody that uh, has an editor for their show and I'm like, wow, how did you do that? It's pretty crazy. <laughs> you know, anyway, um, can I give one shout out please. to one of your old podcast folks? Yeah. Who you got? Um, I don't know her personally, but my favorite episode you've done is, and I can't remember her name, which is horrible, but the lady whose type one son died in the car accident, her story, even before the pregnancy hormones, I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And her story is just amazing. And I just, if she's listening, I just want to let her know that the community has her back, even though her type one son isn't with us anymore. That's, that's very nice of you to say. I have to tell you that there are so many times that I have conversations on this podcast. I, I said it last, I told you earlier, I, I, I interviewed someone last night who's, you know, at the end of a her, you know, the hopeful end of a heroin addiction, a lifelong heroin addiction almost. And as we're talking, I said to her, I'm like, I never thought 
this podcast would lead me to have conversations like this, you know, and I, I started thinking about all the after dark episodes and Donnie, you know, Donnie's an interesting one because the first time I recorded, I had a problem with his too. It sounds like I'm a mess, but trust me, I've recorded like 500 (laughs) of these. I've messed up like four of them. So everybody calm down. But Donnie, um, uh, came on, I think his is called after dark, um, trauma and addiction. And we had a, an amazing conversation and he never once meant once mentioned. And then we had to re-record it, and the conversation went in a slightly different way. And I think he was more comfortable the second time. And he told me that his neighbors had uh, raped him for years as a child and that he felt his family knew about it. And I was like, holy crap. Like, as that's being said, all I can think is like, how I did not expect to be in this position having these kind of like really important conversations. Um, and I'm really grateful for them. It, this podcast is, is enriched my life like a ton actually. But yeah, I just, you know, yours is another example. Like I just, when people say things, I'm like, wow, you're so honest. <laughs> you know, it's a, it, does it feel freeing to just say it out loud when you have issues like that? Um, <clears throat> I separate the personal from the academic. So I give talks and write about and research about my um, identity as a survivor. So I think I've separated it quite a bit. So freeing supposedly, but I also am not telling you like the intimate details that would be more traumatic for me. Yeah. I I wouldn't want you to either. No, Like I don't see how any of that would be Mm -mm. useful at all. Um, But so Michelle's episode was called Jesse was here. And yeah, her- that's the one where she was driving to like an endo appointment over the mountains. Oh no, you're thinking of a different one. You're thinking oh. of do. Wait, is this podcast just one big bummer? <laughs> okay, so uh, no, you're thinking of do hard things. Yeah, yeah. The where, <clears throat> excuse me, two of her sons passed away in the car accident. Yep, yeah, they were on their way to an endo appointment on an icy road, and yeah, she had an accident, and when she woke up, her her sons weren't there. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a. That's a crazy story because she sent me a an email a significant amount of time after her son had passed away, like years, I think, and to tell me that uh, she still listens to the podcast. To feel connected to him, right, because yeah. of the diabetes. And and I was just like, I got that email and I, I showed it to my wife. I'm like, what do I like, what do I do about this? You know, hey, hey, what am I going to respond back and go, Hey, thanks for being a listener. Like, I was like, you know, there's no way, like, I, I have to have like a real conversation with her. And at the end of it, I just said, um, I was like, look, if you, I, I can't imagine, I think I said, I can't imagine you would want to, but if you ever want to come on and talk about this, you, you know, I would do it with you. And she was, it had to have been six months later. And I got another note from her and she's like, I would like to come on the podcast. And I, I, Jesus she's talking and I'm trying not to cry so that I can stay in the conversation and everything. And I don't know, this is uh, I mean, I joke sometimes like when people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I have a podcast and you know, I joke that it's weird cause I'm older and stuff, but uh, you know, in all honesty, it's been one of the greatest things I've ever done. So I'm really, her proud. story really touched me. She's a phenomenal mom and you can tell through yeah. the podcast. Yeah. I'm glad I'm really, am. And it's nice of you to say, I could, she'll hear this. So, Thank you very much. I hope uh, so. I want to be her friend. <laughs> do you really? I think you live in reasonably the same area. So if you just ran outside and started yelling her name, you might find her. 
Although, how far? <laughs> how far are you going to get before you get out of breath or have to pee? Probably not so far. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> I get out of breath walking up the stairs for good reason. This baby's healthy, so that's good. Good for you. I'm excited. All right, so let me know um, when the. I'll tell you what. It's October now. When the baby's born, you send me an email. Tell me all about the baby, and at the end of this episode, I'll read your email. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we, they, we okay. had a this, you know what I mean? So when we go from they to whatever. He or she. Yeah, yeah. yeah all that stuff. Let me know. I yeah. have a feeling, but I'm waiting till birth for the sex. You, do you want to say your feeling here so it's recorded? Sure. So I think that her sex identity is female um, because I think that she she moves when I say the name that we've picked out for female and i also dream about having a female child so i'm curious if i'm correct i now i'm curious excellent <laughs> all right now i'm definitely i sit on this one until i get your email and then this one goes up okay okay sure all right have a great birth uh congratulations please tell your <laughs> husband you know he'll get used to the idea <laughs> the baby only cries for like the first like handful of months and then it really is just smooth i'm lying it's terrible <laughs> we have three dogs so we We've done babyhood just through dogs instead of humans. Yeah, yeah. Get a saddle for one of those dogs and see if you can teach the kid to ride it. That really would make my day if you could figure <laughs> that out. <laughs> it actually really hurts the dog's backs. It's not. Damn it. Nothing's fun anymore, Sarah. The world used to be free when you didn't have to worry about other people. Uh, like uh, The 70s. I know you don't know about it. Uh, I mean, it was great for the people who didn't care. And the people who did care, really terrible as I'm looking back now. But uh, I, I used to get bullied by this kid. Uh when I was little and nobody thought anything of it. <laughs> just, there was no, no one stepped in. My parents were like, yeah, figure it out, toughen up, you know, that kind of thing. Now this kid would be arrested. He used to hold us underwater in a pool. <laughs> like he was yeah. Dr- that's assault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back then it was, uh, they called it a life experience. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, how do you, um, turn yourself into the person that that crazy person doesn't want to drown? That was pretty much uh, my summer that year. Like, you'd want to go to the pool because oh. it was hot, but you're like, this kid Craig is going to hold me underwater, you know? If you're listening, Craig, it wasn't fun, just so you know. Yeah, uh, that was mean, Craig. Yeah, no kidding. Although I have to say, I did uh, develop a lot of personal skills, like, you know, how to, like, make people like you and, you know, do a little song and dance to keep things from, uh, I don't know. Maybe the podcast would suck if Craig didn't try to drown me when I was uh, 10. Don't give him credit. <laughs> All right. I'm with you. He didn't do anything. All right. <laughs> My husband taught one of the Aussies to jump up on the nightstand into the crib so it can soothe the baby so that we don't have to get up. So your play here, let me make sure I understand as we're finishing up. Your husband's your husband's idea was if the baby should get uh, uncomfortable at night, need some soothing, you've taught the sm- a smaller dog how to go up on a nightstand and into the crib so it can cuddle with the child. Yeah, we have too many Aussies, so we taught the smarter of the Aussie how to which is not safe, I acknowledge this, but maybe when the kid's bigger. No. Screw all that. If you do that, I want that on video. <laughs> I, I need <laughs> Oh, to- I can send you one of the dog doing it without a baby. It's already it knows how to get in and out of the crib by itself. Seriously? All right. So- yeah, he taught the Aussie had to do that. Send, I'll, I'll text send, it to you. Send that funny. to me too. Okay. See, <laughs> here's the problem with you and I. We could talk forever, so we're going to stop now. Um, 
Thank you. You're very welcome. Have a great day. Uh, I really appreciate you giving your time twice like this. And I will, I will double save this, put on an external hard drive, a thumb drive, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll remember the entire conversation so I can re- reenact it if I have to. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank the Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump. Check out omnipod.com forward slash juice box to learn more, to find out if you're eligible for that free 30 day trial or to just get started. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And now let's have a little update from Sarah. Hey, Scott, baby came at 36 weeks due to complications and is now three and a half months and healthy. I went from 150 units of insulin in my last week of pregnancy to using Humalog a couple of times a week while breastfeeding. Postpartum kicked me back into honeymoon, so I'm enjoying it while I can. Pregnancy and diabetes is really hard, but it's well worth it. I encourage anyone interested in becoming pregnant to find an entire medical team to work with that they fully trust. Baby girl wouldn't be here without the knowledge of the MFMs that I worked with. And surprise... The baby girl's name is Scott. All right, it's not really Scott. But I mean, one day, one of you is going to name a baby after me. Just takes one. I think I have a dog right now named after me, but that's not, I mean, it's nice. Don't get me wrong, but I'm looking for a human being. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast.